following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I want to talk to you about how available are you to the kingdom of God? No, really, how available are you to the work of the kingdom of God? There was a man, an amazing man, I'd like to share some of his story He died in 1831. 
He pastored a small church in the backwoods of New York for six years. And then he traveled and prayed for a traveling evangelist for seven more years until the strain of his work was too much, and he died. Now, as far as we know, he never ministered outside the region of upstate New York during days when much of it was just frontier. His tombstone is in a neglected cemetery along a dirt road behind a livestock auction barn. His church no longer exists. Its meeting house location marked by a historical marker in a cornfield. The building is gone. The people are gone. The timbers of the church were used to build a mill, a feed mill, four miles down the road. There are no books to tell of his life story, no pictures, no diaries. We can't find any of his descendants. He wrote no books. He started no schools. He led no movements. And most generally, he simply kept out of sight. And yet this man saw revival twice in his pastorate and then was a very key figure in one of the greatest revivals in the history of the United States. In many ways, he was to the United States what praying Hyde was to India. He is known almost exclusively for his powerful prayer ministry. The great evangelist Charles Finney left his work of itinerant ministry and revival within three or four months of this man's death. Finney never counted on his theology, his messages, his preaching style, his logic, or even his methods to save souls. He looked rather to mighty prayer and the resulting powerful work of the Holy Spirit to sweep in with great conviction on his audience that the conversions would be thorough conversions. This may well explain why 80-plus percent of those converted in his meetings stood the test of time. Years later, Mr. Moody followed a similar pattern, but without such a prayer warrior, he saw perhaps a 50% success rate with those who came to Christ. You may remember hearing that Billy Graham only had about a 10% rate of success over the long haul with those who came forward in his meetings. He was prepared for this work of prayer in the most painful of ways. He was utterly rejected by his church. They voted him out. Repeatedly he was rejected as a pastor, even though he had a revival where 200 people were converted in a township of only 308 homes with a population of 
Only 2,000 people, but 200 came forward and were converted. But he was rejected. They said he was too old. He was 46 years old when that happened. They said he was too old. Well, this rejection by those he loved and had ministered to, had poured out his life for, was so crushing that by 1824 he was so damaged spiritually that there was no hope of any kind of ministry for this man. I feel I understand part of what this man went through. There is a crushing work that God brings us through. There is a a work of utter rejection and casting out when lies are spoken, when things are believed that are not true, resulting in being shunned, cut off, even from those you've poured out your life for. Your family rejects you. They cut you off. Rejection has a very particular way of preparing a man by totally humbling him. That's what happened in this case. It was 1824. Charles Finney was to be examined for a license to preach. And Finney records his first meeting with Pastor Daniel Nash. It was this meeting of the presbytery. He was commonly called Father Nash. He was a member of this Presbyterian church. A large congregation had assembled to hear the examination sermon of Charles Finney. And He came in a few minutes late and he saw a man standing in the pulpit speaking to the people, he supposed. This man even looked at Charles Finney as he came in. He was looking around at all the people. But Finney says, As I reached my seat and listened, I observed that he was praying. I was surprised to see him looking all over the house as if he were talking to the people. Well, in fact, he was praying to God. Of course, it did not sound to me much like prayer. He was, at that time, indeed, in a very cold and backslidden state. Rejection brings such heartbroken discouragement. That's what Pastor Nash was walking in. He'd given up his his work as a pastor, but respecting him, he was asked to pray an invocation for this occasion. But it wasn't long after this, this meeting that Nash was struck with a very serious case of inflamed eyes. For several weeks, he had to be kept in a dark room where he could neither read nor write. So with nothing else to do, he gave himself up 
to pray. Well, as you might imagine, the Lord did a terrible overhauling of his whole Christian experience. And when he was capable physically, he put on a dark black veil over his face. And he began to go out and talk to individuals about their salvation. Now remember, he's not pastoring a church. I'm sure he's wondering what he's going to do for work. He's not a wealthy man. He had responsibilities. But out of the darkness of that sickness, out of the darkness of his rejection, something rose up in his spirit. Now, his labors did not take the form of personal evangelism or evangelistic preaching. He didn't have much luck there. It's hard to talk to somebody about Jesus when your face is covered with a dark black veil like Moses. You're not very presentable. So this rejected and broken former pastor literally gave himself up to pray for people. Now, Charles Finney's labors in evangelism began in the region of Evan Mills. If you recall, a a women's mission group commissioned him when no one else would. And Daniel Nash started his very special prayer ministry. He arrived, Finney said, he was full of the power of prayer. The two men were drawn into partnership that was ended only by Daniel Nash's death seven years later. Their goal was stated simply in a letter as follows. When Mr. Finney and I began our race, we had no thought of going amongst ministers. Our highest ambition was to go where there was neither minister nor reformation and try to look up the lost sheep for whom no man cared. We began, and the Lord prospered, but we go into no man's parish unless called. We have room enough to work and work enough to do. This team operated on the basis of prayer being essential for the preparation of an area for evangelism. This idea was so strong that Finney often sent Daniel Nash to an area to prepare the place and the people for his coming with the evangelistic meetings. Often it would take three or four weeks of prayer to get an area ready. Wow, if it took three or four weeks to get an area ready, what would it take to get an area ready today in our wicked culture with our television and our internet and our cell phones and all of the darkness that's come upon us? It might take three or four months today. When God would direct where a meeting was to be held, Father Nash would quietly come into town. He would try to find two or three other people to enter into a covenant of prayer with him. Sometimes he had with him a man 
similar in interest, Abel Clary, and together they would begin to pray fervently for God to move in the community. One record of such is told by Leonard Ravenhill in his writings. He wrote, I met an old lady who told me a story about Charles Finney that has changed me over the years. Finney went to Bolton to minister, but before he began, two men knocked on the door of a humble cottage wanting lodging. The poor woman looked amazed, for she had no extra accommodations. Finney, for about 25 cents, finally, for about 25 cents a week, the two men, none other than Nash and Clary, rented a dark and damp cellar for the period of Finney's meetings two weeks and there in that self-chosen cell these prayer partners battled the forces of darkness I don't know if you have any idea what I'm talking about we live in a time of very polite prayer laid back prayer I was in the prayer closet this morning And there came upon me such a passion for a young man who's walking in such rebellion, such selfishness, not converted, arrogant, hard-hearted. All I could do is cry out at the top of my voice for his salvation. And then it was time to get ready for the broadcast. And as I was almost ready to walk into the studio, my phone rang, and it was this young man. I said, oh, God, has there been a change? And so I answered the phone. And this arrogant young man began to spew forth his poison for why he could not follow Jesus. And my heart was broken. It was like Satan was laughing in my face. This young man, he said, is mine. I quickly dismissed this young man and prayed and said, Oh God, the devil's laughing in my face. I can't let this stand. Will you break the power of Satan now? I began to cry out to God. I'm not willing that Satan should have the power to steal a precious evil man when God has called him. I'm not willing to be fatalistic and say, well, you know, whatever he decides, it's okay. No, it's not okay for this young man to go to hell. I have to tell you, after I had spent my heart praying for this young man, Suddenly, leaping into my heart was another young man and another young woman who were walking in wickedness before God. He's called them. They said yes. And then they went back to their sin, and I'm saying, Oh, God, how can this be? This kind of prayer is not polite and quiet. It's loud. It's messy. It's urgent. Are you available for God to pray through you for the lost? Do you care? Do you care? 
Or do you say little polite prayers? God, now lay me down that I could sleep. It's time God's people stood up and started to pray. Really pray. And cry out for the lost. And refuse to let Satan steal them from us. Do you understand? This thing has to change. We can't continue this way. While we as the church are polite and pleasant and enjoying our little entertainment, the world is going to hell. There's another record that says, On one occasion when I got to town to start a revival, this is Charles Finney, she said, Brother Finney, do you know a Father Nash? He and two other men have been at my boarding house for the last three days, but haven't eaten a bite of food. I opened the door and peered in. I could hear them groaning. I saw them down on their faces. They've been this way for three days, lying prostrate on the floor and groaning. I thought something awful must have happened to them. I was afraid to go in. I didn't know what to do. Would you please come and see about them? No, it isn't necessary, Finney replied. They just have a spirit of travail and prayer. Charles Finney so realized the need of God's working in all of his service that he was always sending Charles Charles Finney was always sending Father Nash in advance to where he was going to preach to bring down the power of God into the meeting that he was supposed to hold. Not only did Nash prepare communities for preaching, but he continued in prayer during the meetings. Often Nash would not attend the meetings at all. And while Finney was preaching, Nash was praying for the Spirit's outpouring upon him. Finney said, I did the preaching altogether, and Brother Nash gave himself up almost continually to prayer. Often while the evangelist preached to the multitudes, Nash in some adjoining house would be on his face in an agony of prayer, and God answered in the marvels of his grace. With all due credit to Mr. Finney, for what was done, it was the praying men who held the ropes. The tears they shed, the groans they uttered, are written in the book of the Chronicles of the things of God. It is said of Finney that his evangelistic party considered, consisted of prayer partners who went before him and sought the Lord in some secluded spot. And when Finney was preaching, Father Nash and Mr. Clary were hidden away somewhere praying for him. No wonder cities were stirred, and a vast harvest of souls was reaped. This concept of an evangelistic party made up of praying men has been lost in these days of careful organization and promotion, big names. Charles Finney could always go to Brother Nash when an obstacle arose in the meetings. 
One such occasion occurred at Grosvenor, where some young men seemed to stand like a bulwark in the way of the progress of the work of God. In this state of things, Brother Nash and myself, that is, Charles Finney, after consultation, made up our minds that things must be overcome by prayer and that could not be reached in any other way, and we therefore retired to a grove and gave ourselves to prayer until we prevailed, and we felt confident that no power which earth or hell could interpose would be allowed permanently to stop the revival. Now there are times when confidence gained in prayer requires action. Please let me stop a minute. These men prayed until they had absolute confidence given to them by the Holy Spirit that what they had asked for was done. Now, I have no confidence that the young men, the two young men and the woman that I've been praying for, I have no confidence that God has yet heard my prayer. Oh, I know he's heard my prayer, but I mean answered it by breaking the power of Satan over these three. I'm not willing to just let them go. I can't. Their souls are on mine. Their blood will be on my hands if I don't pray through. I am going to pray through this, and I am going to have the victory by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. It said that Father Nash was by nature a very quiet man. He stayed out of the limelight. Yet prevailing confidence in prayer sometimes causes God to to change a man. The meeting house was filled, and near the close of the meeting, Father Nash arose and began to speak unexpectedly directly to this company of young men who had joined hand to hand to resist the revival. They were all there. They were very staunch in their decision to join together in opposition and that they were not going to be revived. They were not going to confess their sin. They were not going to follow Jesus. They were brazen-faced. They were stiff-necked. It was apparent to everyone who was in the meeting. So Brother Nash addressed them very earnestly, and he pointed out the guilt and danger of the course they were taking. And toward the close of his address, he waxed exceedingly warm and said to them, Now mark me, young men. God will break your ranks in less than one week, either by converting some of you or by sending some of you to hell. He will do this as certainly as the Lord is my God. And he's standing where he he brought down his hand on top of the pew before him, making it jar with a loud sound. And then he sat down and dropped his head and groaned with pain. The church was as still as death. Most of the people sat with their heads down. 
the young men were very agitated. Finney says, For myself, I regretted that Brother Nash had gone so far. He had committed himself that God would either take the life of some of them and send them to hell, or convert some of them within a week. On Tuesday morning of that same week, the leader of these young men came to me in the greatest distress of mind. He was all prepared to submit, and as soon as I came to press him, he broke down like a child. He confessed and gave himself to Jesus. Then he said, What shall I do, Mr. Finney? I replied, Go immediately to all your young companions and pray with them and exhort them at once to turn to the Lord. He did so, and before the week was out, nearly, if not all of that group of young men were committed to following Jesus Christ. They had been converted. Nash's prayer ministry made him as remarkable a character in his way as Charles Finney was. The importance of such to Finney's ministry and success cannot be overestimated. Finney depended more upon the prayers of Father Nash and Clary to bring down the Holy Spirit than upon his own relentless logic. We're so accustomed to tame prayers today that we no longer see this all-prevailing influence of prayer. Finney said of the great revival in Rochester, New York, that the key that unlocked the heavens in this revival was the prayer work of Clary and Father Nash and other unnamed folk who laid themselves prostrate before God's throne and besought him for a divine outpouring. Considering the souls being saved and the very culture of the area being changed, in such a thorough revival it should be no surprise that persecution came to these co-labors. Some came from jealous ministers, some from those from other denominational persuasions, and some just from the lost and the pagans. People would come and create straw men and put Finney's name on one and Father Nash's name on the other. Then they would both be hanged and burned in effigy. Men would gather around the, the meeting house where they were and throw stones at it. They would discharge guns. They were threatened in every possible way. The best-known revival of this period in American history, which occurred in Rochester, New York, over a 100,000 people were soundly converted through these meetings through the prayer work of Nash and Clary. Such fervent prayer, such agony of soul, brought sighs that seem strange to our eyes today. Our gentle prayers accomplish little, and they cost us very little. 
during the Rochester meetings. There are several accounts of these two men in deep agony of soul while praying day and night. Some accounts named Nash and Clary, and others named them both. They were together in fasting and prayer much of the time, weeping and crying out to God. Sometimes they lay prostrate without strength to stand up. Their concern over sinners being lost brought great stress to their minds and to their bodies. They groaned under the load. They risked health and gave up comforts that the battle of the heavenlies might be won. Sometimes they would writhe and groan in agony over souls, and God honored their burden-bearing and sent revival. I want you to know, revival is not cheap. When we refuse to strive, we should not be surprised at the lack of God's mighty stirrings it is not amazing that we have no problem with people wearing themselves out in sports for pleasure, work for money, politics for power, programs for charity. But we think it's fanatical to pray so earnestly for souls. We would die for national freedom, but never for progress in the kingdom of God. Is it any wonder we see so little of God's great working today? Nash would actually pray until he had to go to bed sick. Weakness, faintness, under the pressure. The world would have no problem with such dedication, except that it was due to prayer for souls. Seems strange in today's church. Finney wrote, I have seen Christians who would be in an agony when the minister was going into the pulpit for fear his mind should be in a cloud or in his heart cold or he should have no unction so a blessing could not come. A man who will pray until he got assurance in his mind that God would be with him in preaching and sometimes he would pray himself ill. Finally, Finney would find Father Nash at his door, saying, The Lord has come, and he will be with us. Now I ask you today, are you a man or woman of prayer? Do you know what it's like to pray through? I've been praying for you. I've been saying, oh God, there has to be a great stirring in Washington, D.C. There has to be a great stirring in the hearts of men and women who are cold, casual, a man saying to me, I'm a righteous man. I follow Jesus. I love him with all my heart. And a minute later, talking about setting up his group for an evening of poker playing. 
we're talking about. There's a baseball game tonight. Are you watching? Oh, yeah. And then an extended conversation about the players. No passion for prayer. No passion for prayer. Is it any wonder the church is dead in Washington and cannot influence and impact the city? How available are you for God? It said that Father Nash would pray until there was a release. He couldn't pray in secret. He would go into the closet of the woods to pray and he would pray with such loudness that one man said he could hear Father Nash praying half a mile away. Now that may have been an exaggeration, I don't know. But in the revival at Grosvenor, Nash rose very early and went into a wood to pray. It was one of those clear, crisp mornings, said Finney, on which it was possible to hear sounds at a great distance. And three-quarters of a mile away lived an unconverted man who suddenly was arrested by hearing the voice of prayer. He could distinguish it was Nash's voice. And this brought him to such a sense of the reality of the Christian faith that he had never before experienced. He searched out until he found Jesus. Nash would make a list of people that he was having placed on his heart that he was to pray for. A praying list. It seems that if God directed him to put someone on his prayer list, it was a sign that God would answer the prayer if Nash was faithful in praying for that person. The Spirit of God leads a man to pray and to pray for an individual. When the Holy Spirit does that, it means he's willing to answer that prayer. Now, it's also important to pray with others. The scriptures say that one shall chase a thousand and two shall put ten thousand to flight. The efforts of several with such a burden for victory greatly increases the power of prayer. Strong praying is effectual praying. The effort must be definite and clear to the ones praying. In other words, you have to know what you're praying for. You have to know what result you're asking God to give you. General prayers will not be answered by God. It takes mental effort to aim at the proper 
result in a true soul struggle. And then you have to move from the real burden to solid faith that requires a path of soul agony. We're too committed to just stop our prayer life with fatalism and say, well, you know what, whatever happens with him, it's up to God. I've, I've prayed for him, that's it. And so unconcern comes in. Shifting of the responsibility to the lost. A man is only going to be as concerned for his own salvation as you are concerned for his salvation. It must be a prayer of faith. It must be based on a rhema word of God, a breathed word of God. And even as I'm talking to you about prayer, my heart is heavy for this young man. My heart is heavy for him. He has turned against Jesus. He's wanted to come to Jesus and get what he could get. He was, he's come and wanted to use Jesus. He said to me, I can't pray without expecting and demanding that God do what I need him to do. Why would I pray if I'm not there to get from God what I need? In his mind, God is to be his servant, and he is to be God. What a fatal position to hold. Another young man and his girlfriend. They want to go play. They want to get drunk. They want to smoke some pot. They want to have fornication. Am I to write them off? How can I? How can I? I've poured out my life for this city of Washington. And I have been utterly rejected and judged for this. There's a part of my soul that says, walk away. Let whatever happens to Washington happen. You've spent all of these years pouring out your heart and your soul until you have nothing left. I can't walk away. This city has my love. I love this city. I love the people of Washington. I love you. How can I not stay fervent in prayer and cry out to God for you? Almighty God. I'm so tired of this Laodicean church that's about to be spit out of your mouth. I see souls. I see this young man that I've been talking about. I, I see this young couple that I've been speaking of. Lord, if you don't save them, they'll go to hell. 
if you don't come and intervene in their lives, they're going to go to hell. If you don't come and convict them of their wickedness before you and cause their tears to flow in brokenness before you, they will go to hell. And I love them. Mighty God. These listeners who so casually turn on the radio, listen for a few minutes, and then they're gone. These casual listeners who, who think, oh, we'll go and dip in and see what's, what's Pastor Ray saying today, and then go about their business. No conviction, no change. Comfortable, Laodicean. Almighty God, if this doesn't change, men and women are going to go to hell while all the time they claim they're they're Christians. But Lord, we've become so full of ourselves and so full of our own ideas and our own thoughts and our own beliefs that we've become unavailable to you, Jesus. I'm asking, Lord, if you would cause this young man, cause this young couple, cause those listening to this radio who are still walking in their sin. Lord, would you cause them to be convicted? You said you would send your Holy Spirit and the sign of your coming of the Holy Spirit would be conviction of sin. Lord, would you send conviction of sin in Washington? Will you break the pride of this city? Will you break the pride of the listeners to this radio broadcast? Will you come now, Lord Jesus? Will you break this ugliness, this fatalism, this floating around being a church consumer? to wherever the best quote-unquote children's programs are or music program is or Lord, turn our hearts away from this cheap religion and cause us to become committed to praying for this city and praying for the lost, praying for those precious ones you've brought before our mind's eye. Oh, Lord, and then there are people that you call to come to the National Prayer Chapel. But it's inconvenient, it's inconvenient to them, Lord. It's still about them. Lord, I'm asking, will you send a whole army of people who are willing to lay their lives down for you and be available to pray? and be available to search after you with all their hearts. Lord, I remember one couple who said we're prayer intercessors, but Lord, they were so full of themselves they could never pray. And you said to me, they're too big to answer. Lord, you've said that to me too. You're too big for me to answer. Lord, I'm asking you to whittle us down 
asking you to reduce us down. I'm asking you to reduce me down and humble my heart before you, Jesus. That the passion for the lost would explode in my life and in my heart. That you would give me the passion to pray for the lost and the dying. That I would not be satisfied or fatalistic without spending that energy and time and passion before you, before your throne, to hear what your judgment is and what your heart is for them. Lord, I claim this young man in the name of Jesus, and I say, Satan, you will not have him. He belongs to the kingdom of the Almighty God of heaven. He belongs to Jesus. I refuse to let go of him. I'm going to hang on to him until he is drawn into the ark of safety with Jesus. Satan, I will not give you this young couple. You called them after yourself, and they said, yes, Jesus, they belong to you. I will not give them up to the devil. I pray, O oh God, you will meet them today. You will convict them of their sin and break this love of world from their hearts. Lord, I will not leave the air and surrender those who come and listen to the Laodicean condition of the church. I'm asking Jesus that you will stir their hearts with a mighty, mighty wind that will blow through their souls with refreshing and power and strength to come alive and begin to pray for the lost and the dying. Lord, send your prayer warriors Shake this city to its very knees, almighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. Father Nash entered glory on his knees December 20, 1831, at the age of 56. And his body is buried near where he pastored in that former church's graveyard with a small stone to mark the spot. Will you let God raise you up to pray? Will you let God begin to pour his passion for the lost and dying through you? Will you pray? Will you be available for God to do the work of salvation in this great city? We're out of time. I need your help. I'm praying for your help. I'm crying out to God that you would step forward and give the finances necessary to sustain this ministry. I'm functioning with a 
with a computer that is 15 years old. I'm functioning with another computer, a laptop. We need new equipment. We need a new board. The sound needs to be improved. We need to reach out. It's going to be like $5,000 just to buy the equipment we need. And then we have the radio bill. It's very costly. And I'm just praying, oh God, move in the hearts of the people to give. And not miserly giving, but real giving, hilarious giving for the gospel of Jesus. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. That's Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at National Prayer Chapel. You can click the donate button on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I wish I could pray with you. Would you come this Sunday and pray with me? We begin prayer at 12 o'clock at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Would you come and pray with me? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. God bless you. I love you. I'm praying for you.